I am so excited that next hour I'm going to have the privilege of baptizing Juliet and Jackson. If you're able, you might want to step in for that portion of the service. It's going to be a wonderful time of celebration. Lots of family are going to be here. I am so thankful for how God is working among our children and our youth. How about that video from Sunday's camp and to see those young people give their lives to Christ, they're baptized, they're making a statement for Christ, to see their their zeal, their energy, their desire to serve the Lord. It's inspiring to me. I hope it is to you. It should be to all of us that Jesus Christ is at work among children and young people today. We can trust him for the future. And I'm so glad to see all of you this morning. I hope that you have already sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is here. And it is the working of the Holy Spirit that separates Christianity as an ideal and Christianity as a life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The Holy Spirit working within our lives. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. Really, I'm inspired by statements made by Jesus in the Gospel of John as we've been reading through it all these months. This last week, many of you, you were in John chapter 16. All of you are invited to be in John 16 and in each section that we're reading. But many of you are reading John 16. There are two verses in there that speak about the Holy Spirit. If you'd go ahead and put up that one slide, please. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then in verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus says, it's better for you if I leave. Because when I leave, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And then the power of God will be resident within you. He refers to the Holy Spirit as the advocate. We've talked about that before. The Greek is parakletos. Literally, it has this idea of coming alongside to help. The Holy Spirit comes alongside to help. He's there for us. He upholds us. He strengthens us. He guides us. He empowers us. And Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit, not just in John 16, but this section that we've been on, chapter 14, 15, 16, he comes to the Holy Spirit again and again. Go ahead and put up the next slide if you would. Jesus says in chapter 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And in verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will... Next slide, please. We'll send in my name, we'll teach you all things, and we'll remind you of everything I have said to you. In verse 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of the truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, it's not just in these chapters. In the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John the baptizer said, there is one who is coming, one who is greater than I, who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And do you remember in John chapter 3, go ahead and put up the slide if you would, Jesus is speaking to to Nicodemus and he says in chapter 3 verse 5, you must be born of the Spirit if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. And then John 7 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. It's better for you that I go away, because then I'll send the Spirit. Because until Jesus is glorified, the Spirit does not come. But once the Spirit comes, or once Jesus is glorified, then the Spirit does come. And we see this happening on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out upon the church. And from that time to this, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit. And that means they are born anew. They are empowered. They have a new capacity they did not have before. They move out of the realm of religion into divine, spiritual life. It's all by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Now, it's so important that we understand that because until we do, we we just live a theoretical kind of Christianity rather than the real thing. The problem is the minute you start talking about something like this in church, a lot of people think, oh, yes, I need to seek the Holy Spirit. I need to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, by which they mean I need to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm empty. I don't have what I need. Spirit of God, please come in me. Please equip me. Please, please strengthen me. Please change me. Now, prayers like that aren't all wrong, but they are partly wrong because they rest on a misunderstanding. The misunderstanding is that you are somehow without the Holy Spirit, whereas if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you. You don't need to seek the Spirit, what you need is to seek to give the Spirit more of yourself. This is absolutely crucial to understand. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's an interesting expression. He compares being filled with the Holy Spirit to being drunk with wine. Now, if somebody's had too much to drink and they drive their car, they're arrested, what's the charge against them? Driving under the influence. To be drunk is to be under the influence. You could say the same thing about being full of fear. You are under the influence, full of anger. Everything you think, everything you do is under the influence of that anger. To be filled with Anything is to come under the influence of that, whether it be alcohol or fear or anger or the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not to somehow bring the Spirit down from heaven into your being. You've received Christ. You've already received the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to yield yourself more fully to the Holy Spirit. That's the key. The problem we face is that in so many ways, we prevent the Spirit from working in our lives. The first car I bought was a Toyota, uh, all of a sudden I forgot the name. I want to say Toyota Corolla. If you remember the Toyota Tercel a few years ago, that's what Corollas were like 
in the beginning. Very small, very lightweight, very cheap cars. I paid $4,004 for this car. When you opened up the hood, I'm telling you, the motor looked like a sewing machine. It really did. It was a very simple vehicle. But it got me around and it got good gas mileage. I was happy with it. But one day I, I get out into the driveway and I turn the ignition and what happened? Click, 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 click. Turn it again. Click. Turn it again. Nothing. Ah, the battery must be dead. But, you know, I knew a little bit about cars. I mean, like this much. So I thought, I better look at the battery. Maybe there's some corrosion or something. So I opened up the hood, and there was a little bit of corrosion on the battery uh, terminals there. So I, I cleaned that off, and I went back in, turned it. Boom, nothing. Oh, the battery's dead. So I go down to AutoZone, and I get a battery, and I bring it back, and I put it in. You understand, I've never done any of this before. I wasn't raised right. I didn't know anything about cars, didn't know how, but I, you know, I figured I can figure this out. So I go down, I get a battery, ask the guy what I have to do, and I bring the battery back, and, and I take the old battery out, and I put the new battery in, and I tighten everything down, and it goes, click, that was it. Still didn't start. It's not corrosion. It's not the battery. Well, the guy down at the place said it, if it's not those, it might be the starter. Ah, it's the starter's gone bad. So I go back down to the auto parts store. And you understand, I didn't even know what a starter was before this day. <laughs> but I went and bought a starter. I don't remember how much it cost. I seem to remember $80. Does that sound right back in the day or not? I don't know. It, was, it was, wasn't that much. But I went and I got a starter. <laughs> And knowing nothing, you've got to understand, I know nothing. I get up under there and I take out the old starter. I mean, it is like a sewing machine, so it's not complicated. I take out the old starter and I put in the new one. I tighten it down and I'm feeling pretty good, kind of proud, sweaty. I mean, this is Baton Rouge. It's humid. It's hot. And I'm sweating and I stink and I get in my car and I turn it and yeah, nothing, <laughs> nothing. So I don't know what's going on, but you know, really, it's this story, it's kind of a big disappointment because you know what it ended up being? It ended up being corrosion. I opened up the hood. I pulled back that little plastic sheath that was over the cable, and there was this corrosion down on that battery cable leading down. I took care of that, and boom, the car starts up. <laughs> The car had the power it needed. It was in acceptable condition, but there was one small bit of corruption that kept it from starting up. And that is an image of so many people's lives, that they have prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, and there's nothing fundamentally wrong with them except what's wrong with every human being on the face of planet Earth. I mean, we're all fallen human beings, but they've received Jesus Christ and there's nothing particularly wrong with them and yet they have no power. It's not that the spirit hasn't been given, something is preventing that flow. Now, once you realize that, you realize the negative becomes the positive. In other words, you don't have to do a lot of things to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to come under the influence of the Spirit. 
You have to stop doing certain things. I want to mention three in particular, three that the Bible talks about in this very connection. So the first one is we must stop resisting the Holy Spirit. If you'd put up the Acts passage, please. Stephen is talking to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, as I say, this is Stephen speaking to the Sanhedrin. He is brought before the Sanhedrin because he's been accused of blasphemy. Now, the members of the Sanhedrin are the religious leaders and the very ones that had condemned Jesus Christ. And so they had opposed this work of God that Jesus unleashed into the world for a long time, but they hadn't been able to stop it. They tried to suppress it, but they couldn't. And so here's Stephen preaching with great power and they call him before themselves. He's on trial for blasphemy and he tells the story of Israel and how time and again they resisted the Holy Spirit and then he turns it on them, the very leaders, and he says, you are stiff-necked. You are the ones who are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And if you didn't read it in the Bible, you wouldn't believe it. How did they respond? They were enraged. And as Stephen saw a vision in heaven and said, I see the Son of Man at the right hand of God, they covered their ears because they didn't want to hear it. And they drove Stephen out of the city and had him stoned. So there's this resistance to the Holy Spirit, this stubbornness, this unwillingness to give God his way. And frankly, there are people who live like that, resisting God. And they do it for year after year after year. Maybe they go to church, but they've not yet discovered what true Christianity is because they're always holding God at arm's length. They're not going to go all the way. They're not going to accept what God says. It may be that the Lord's dealing with them in their conscience, but they just shove that aside. They're not going to deal with that. They are stubborn. Just this last week, I get in my car to go home in the afternoon, and as I'm driving down Ritchie, I notice there's this bug on my windshield. I don't know what kind of bug it was, but it looked like a stink bug. I'm not even sure I know what a stink bug is, but this, is, this looked like the bug I was told was a stink bug. I know as much about insects, bugs, and all the rest as I know about cars, okay? So I'm in my car, and I've got a bug on the shield. I'm driving down the road, and I'm figuring it's just going to fly off, but it didn't fly off. So I turn left, and I get on Highway 84, and, you know, the speed limit's 60. I might have been driving a little faster than 60, <laughs> Not so fast that I'll get a ticket, but maybe a little fast. Say 65. I'm driving 65 miles an hour down 84. And this bug, these skinny little legs, is holding on to the glass. It won't go. It's trembling like this. The wind. I mean, think about this. This wind is almost 70 miles an hour on this little stink bug. And I don't know what kind of suction cups it's got on its toes. 
But I mean, it is stuck on that glass. And it's like this the whole time. And I'm just wondering, how long is it going to go? I went a mile, two miles, probably three miles down the road, and it's hanging on. Every once in a while, one of its feet would lose hold. And I thought, oh, now it's going, and it'd fight it back down. (laughs) And it's holding on. Finally, finally, not long before I got to Spiegelville, it just shook. One leg came up, another leg came up, and it gave up. It flew off the window. That is a picture of some of us. The Holy Spirit goes to work in our lives and moves in our lives. It might be in a church service. It might be through circumstances. But God is at work, and we're just going to hold on, and we're not going to yield. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. And so long as you are going to stand and do your will and resist God, you can't expect to experience the joy of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You're not under the influence, you're resisting the influence. And so, do not resist the Holy Spirit. And then, there's another way in which we keep the power of the Spirit from working. We keep from coming under the influence. And that is by grieving the Holy Spirit, or that's how Paul puts it. Let me read it to you from Ephesians chapter 5. He says this in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. I don't think it's accidental that he goes from don't grieve the Holy Spirit to don't be full of anger and hatefulness toward other people. But I don't think it's anger and hatefulness alone that grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is grieved or vexed or offended when we embrace attitudes and ways of life that are so contrary to him, that that are set against his ways And as we're committed to those, we, in a a way, we distance the Spirit from our lives. We're out of tune with the Holy Spirit. We're not going to experience Him. I, I have seen this. I've experienced this. I've done it. But where we grieve the Holy Spirit, and this is where, this is where we can go so wrong. And we can pray for power, yet we're not going to have power until we get things Right. I had a friend who told me about his dad. His dad was a pastor. And he said his ministry was never fruitful and his life was always hard. And it just seemed like discouragement lived over the whole household. And he said, you know, the thing about my dad was he was so angry all the time. Even when he preached, he was angry. He was always with a furrowed brow and he was always yelling. He would even... He would even yell, God loves you, with an angry expression. And he said, I really think that was, that was what was hindering him. And I suspect that's very likely the case, that we can get in a state where we grieve the Holy Spirit. Then you can pray all you want for the Holy Spirit to come into your life, but if you are choosing a way of life and an attitude that is contrary to the Spirit of Jesus Christ, you can't expect 
Well, you, you've already decided you won't come under the influence. I've debated whether I should even tell this example of what I'm talking about, and I'll just go ahead and do it. So a man came forward after uh, a service one day, wanted prayer. It wasn't this church. It was another one. He came forward, and he wanted prayer. He was so anxious, he said. He was so anxious because his professional life was going down the tubes, and he needed God to help him. But what he wanted right then was for God to take away that anxiety. The problem was, every time a woman walked by, his eyes would lock on her, and he'd follow her. Then he'd come back to me. Then he'd follow her, and then he'd come back to me. I called him out. I said, you know what? There's another issue that's at work here. And you can't expect that you can embrace a way of life and an attitude and, and a, a, a perspective on things that you can't, you can't just hold to sin and cherish it in your heart and expect that the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in your life. That had to change. So we must not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. He says, don't quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. What's he getting at here? Well, it would seem that, that some in Thessalonica were kind of looking askance at any kind of prophetic word. That is, God might be speaking through people and they didn't want to hear that because too many crazy things get said. You've met people like that, right? God's always telling them something and they're passing it on to everybody else and you think, sounds a little crazy to me. And as a matter of fact, we can expand it out beyond prophecy. We can talk about spiritual gifts more broadly. There are people who... who feel like they're being led by the Spirit, and they do things that really, you know, they're, they're, sometimes they're ludicrous. And I think it's tempting at that point to say, you know what, it's all ridiculous. You know, we don't want anything to do with it. And I think some at Thessalonica were doing that. That's why Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Now, you need to discern what's really from God. Keep what's good, throw out what is evil, what is not from God. You have to use discernment, but don't despise it. And I think it's very possible for us to quench the Spirit. When the Spirit is on the move in our lives, maybe calling us to serve in some way, we just put that down. Well, that can't be the Spirit. God wouldn't use us, or I'm not, I'm not going to take that step. To quench the Spirit, see, the Spirit's a flame that's burning. To quench it is to douse it, to put out the fire. That's what Paul's saying. Don't put out the fire of the Spirit. Too many times we do that. We want to be, we want to be full of the Spirit, but you know what? Not that full, right? And so we're resistant when the Spirit seeks to move. One of the values, if you remember, when I was talking about our church and as we go forward, one of the, one of the really important values is that we must follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We don't know how God is going to use us. We need to be open to the Spirit for Him to lead us in the direction He wants to go. But so often as, as it turns out, churches resist the Holy Spirit. 
And they can grieve the Holy Spirit, and they can also quench the Holy Spirit. I was reading this. Lutheran bishop was visiting one of the churches in a parish, and he saw this beautiful banner, large banner on the wall, Come Holy Spirit. And right beneath it was a fire extinguisher. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really the way it is. I had a friend when I was in graduate school. She was hired to be the youth minister at a church. She was so excited because she was sharing the gospel with the kids. They were doing Bible study. She had six or eight who accepted Christ. The pastor called her in, said, I understand that um, a lot's going on in the youth group right now. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, I've had, you know, eight youth accept Jesus Christ. The Lord's really working. And he said, you know, you really need to kind of tone this down a little, you know, it's not healthy for kids to become fundamentalists. You need to tone it down. Yes, I'm glad you're doing Bible study, but really maybe read from it and set it aside. But talk about the real issues that they're dealing with and, and you know, just tone it down. Quenching the Holy Spirit. That church today has dwindled down to nothing. Are you surprised? And so we want to respond to the Holy Spirit. And there are people in this church that are such great examples of that. Donna Burney was in the Gospel Cafe, and she saw a lady with this orange mesh bag. She recognized the bag immediately. It's the bag that the state gave to women when they were being released from prison. The prison would give them a set of men's clothes, this mesh bag, a little bit of money, I think it was 50 bucks, give them a bus ticket to wherever they wanted to go, and they'd always come out of this bus station here in Waco. Well, Donna and Munger uh, gave a ride to one of these ladies, and, and as time went on, this burden began to grow, and Donna came under the conviction that the Holy Spirit was calling her to initiate something, and so she did. It's a great story. I wish I could tell it in its details, but what it amounted to was bringing women together, not just from our church, but churches all over the community from all different denominations, women coming together, and they would meet these ladies at the bus station. Remember, every, every incarcerated woman is being released through the Waco bus station at this time. They would meet them there. They would, they would have a bag of things for them, and they would have purses that they could use and, you know, clothing for women, and they would pray with them and encourage them. And, and many of these women would send notes back after they got back home. It was life-changing for them. This was such an extraordinary ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it was all because the Spirit just called Donna to do something, and other people got caught up in that same spirit, and so much good was done. Donna told me, one thing I'm sure of is that there will be people I meet in heaven that were touched through this ministry called Light in the Gap. Now, things began to change. Um, actually, the state began to change. Some of them came as a direct result of Light in the Gap. I mean, they started giving them women's clothing, for example stopped releasing them all from a single bus station and released them closer to where they had been incarcerated and contacted families so there'd be people there to meet them. See, none of this was going on before. And, and so some of these changes were the result of lobbying 
on the part of these ladies that were, were at work here. What happened was the whole, the whole thing changed, and so Donna said she felt very strongly of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was saying, it's over. Now, it's much harder, it's much harder to say yes when the Lord says, it's done, than it is when the Lord says, start. That's why a lot of churches are doing things they should have stopped 30 years ago, because they don't know how to follow the Holy Spirit for the season that they're in. But what a beautiful working of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time. I want to tell you other stories. Um, I, I, I can't just to mention them, though. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but Wes Yeary, one of our life group teachers, every week, he did it for 52 weeks running, took a week or so off, and then he's back to it again. Every week, he does a Bible study on Zoom Wednesday morning for about 150 people all around the world. These are people from every imaginable background, from various countries. Um, some of them aren't even believers. And this Bible study is just, he said it's the most um, satisfying thing he's ever done as a Christian. But it all came about when he got a call from his brothers during COVID and says, listen, I want to start a Bible study and you need to teach it. And he said yes to it. And what the Holy Spirit has brought about is just remarkable. There's even a footnote to that. So um, he, was, he was taught through the Gospel of John, then he was going to go to Romans, and then Sue Milam, where are you, Sue? Are you here? Uh, there's Sue Milam, <laughs> said, said to him, listen, I, think, I, I really think the Lord wants you to teach the book of Acts. And so... Wes has to discern, okay, is that really from the Lord or not? He decided it was, so he started teaching Acts. And one of the blessings, not the only one, but one of the blessings that came out of that, so he was teaching where uh, Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch who's reading from Isaiah, the prophecy of the coming of Christ. He's teaching that section, and on that particular morning, a Jewish man had logged in to the Bible study and hears all about the Hebrew scriptures and how they point to Jesus Christ. There are a lot of situations that have come up like that. It's a remarkable thing. Have you ever seen on our property, there's a warehouse. If you go right across uh, Ritchie Road and you go south just a little bit, right on the corner there behind a chain link fence, there's an old warehouse right there. And you think, wow, what, a, what an ugly looking warehouse. Why is that right there by our church? Well, that's actually our warehouse. That came when we bought the venue. And, and I can't go into this. I really want to talk about this. Maybe you have to come next hour. If I have more time, I'm going to talk about the whole story because this is something the, the Lord spoke to Donna. Excuse me. I'm giving credit all to Donna here, to Doris King about. But it's a remarkable ministry. It's God's toolbox where they build wheelchair ramps for people around the city. It has been an extraordinary ministry, but it came at three o'clock in the morning to Doris King, straight from the Holy Spirit. She shared it with Mike Toby, who said, let's do it. Uh, the church got behind it, and it has been going strong for years and years and years. These are all things the Holy Spirit's doing. So let me ask you, what might the Holy Spirit want to do through you? When I had three daughters, I still have three daughters. 
But when I had three teenage daughters and we lived in this small house and they were using the bathroom together and the bedrooms were right by the bathroom and you had hair straighteners and you had blow dryers and everything's going at once. And time and again, the electricity would go out. So I'd go to the electrical panel, I'd find where the breaker switch was and I'd throw it back on, power's back on, peace is restored. <laughs> where... What switch do you need to put in place? Are you resisting? Are you grieving? Are you quenching the Spirit? If you want to be full of the Spirit, to deal with those, get you there. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us, and we desire, Lord, with all our hearts, we desire to follow you, to be filled with the Spirit, Lord, to be under your influence. We pray that you would work through us. Lord, we pray that those things we've done that perhaps have gotten in your way, that you would help us to put them aside, help us to get aligned with you. Deal with each one of us where we need you to deal with us. Would you stand with me? And I thank you all for coming up here, but the preacher got long-winded, so we're not going to play. I'm just going to end in prayer. <laughs> Brother, did you fall asleep over here? We were talking about that. Did you fall asleep? No, okay. I was telling him not to do that during my sermon. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've been resisting him, everything can change this morning. When this service closes in just a moment, I want you to come forward. I'd like to talk with you. If you are a believer, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is there something in your life that you need to put aside, that you need to deal with, you need to get right? Then now's the time to get it right. Is he calling you? Now's the time to say yes. Holy God, we do want to say yes to you in everything. We pray that you would work in us and through us. We pray that you, oh God, would fill us with yourself and let us live in the power of your presence. Deal with each of us as you would in Jesus' name, amen.